Hello, good evening. Welcome to my fireside chat tonight. I hope y'all are doing well. I have had a long day, a long, good, productive day. And um, I was I was going through the potential topics and things that I wanted to, you know, connect about. Grief kept on coming up, and not only in my personal life, but just with people that I've been talking to, it just seemed to be a reoccurring theme. So I thought it'd be a great thing to to chat about tonight. So thank you for my two that are here so far. And I hope at some point you'll jump on. Um, I really believe that grief is, it's truly an important part of anybody's mental, emotional, physical, um, and spiritual growth. Uh, so many times, I think that we are taught very, very early on that sorrow really does not have a part in our life. Um, you know, we all know, it's, you know little boys aren't allowed to cry, and then girls are allowed to cry a little, but at some point, right, they gotta toughen up, or, you know, their feelings are pushed aside as something else. And we uh, all know somebody that has an aversion to death, or doesn't like funerals, and it's a big deal. And then we go to, you know, breakups, whether, you know, it's your first love or a marriage, you know, you have these breakups and you have to deal with levels of grief. Well, of course, you have a death of a friend and you have to do that as well. So my journey with grief has been an interesting, an interesting thing. I, um, I think grief and grieving is so intrinsic that for me it's not anything where I look at in a negative connotation. I look at grief as something super positive um, to growth, to life, to the process. So I thought I'd share a story um, just a little bit about myself when I was, I want to say 26, 27. Um, I had this best friend that I had had since high school and just my very, one of my very, very best friends. And he had, uh, um, his best friend. And so of course, you know, we're all really, very, very, very close. Um, and they were policemen and they would tell me all about, you know, their escapades as policemen. So from the police academy on, like, you know, like, so we were friends for forever since, like I said, since I was 15 years old. So, you know, every single milestone that they went through, I heard about, and, you know, their marriages and their children, they were like the three musketeers. And, you know, around that time, like I said, I was, I was 27. So they were a little bit older than me. So they had to be in their early 30s. And we were all three. We would all, like, three get on, like, freeway and, you know, all talk. And 
we're talking and the one he talked about how you know police work was just pressuring him now he was an excellent policeman um, he was definitely the definition of the good cop my other friend not so much <laughs> but you know they, i love them they're like my brothers and he was just talking about the pressures of it and i just remember telling him you know, i really never spoke up too much when it came, you know, to their lives, you know, and what they should or should not do. But I remember telling them, I'm like, look, you know, at this point in time, you've been in the force for, you know, over a decade now and very accomplished. She was SWAT and very well respected. But if anybody that knows the life of a policeman, it's not easy. It's very stressful. It cost him his family. You know, he was divorced and it was not a very good divorce and barely ever was able to see his children. And, you know, he just said at this point in time, he just did not love the job anymore like he used to. And he was at the position where they were going to, you know, be promoted again and he was going to go to uh, Dallas or in Texas at the time. And I remember telling him, I was like, is it worth everything that you've lost? You've lost so much. And what's going to happen? We're going to go to Dallas. It's going to be more crazy crime. And, you know, death is always something that you have to think about. So why? You know, at some point in time, you need to evaluate. And maybe it's time for you to get out. First time I had ever advised him to do anything. And I remember him you know, saying, you know, Erica, I think you're, I think you're right. I think it's time. He's like, oh, I'm going to think about it. And I, I think I'm going to get out. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to move. I don't want to miss out on my children's life anymore. And I realized, you know, in this divorce, that I've messed up a lot. And there's some things I want to fix. So, okay, cool. Um, a week later, my other friend called me. And like literally seven days later. He called me and he's like, Eric, I need you to sit down. Um, he told me he's like, and he started to break down and cry. And like, you know, like I said, at this point in time, we we'd been friends for over a decade, and I've heard him cry before, but this was different. And he told me he's like, Abel's dead. And there was just this moment of just like oh wow like no 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 you know and then he starts to tell me how and oh my goodness so they were called and of course he swat so you know it's a hostage situation a man had been um beating his wife and at some point was holding his family hostage and was not letting them go so it was a SWAT situation the SWAT team was called and they were there and he opened fire on um on them and he caught my friend Abel on the side of the neck blew his neck off and that was it he was done 
and that feeling of instant loss, you know, it hits you, right? It hits you hard. And then you think about like the actions that made it happen. And then you think about, you know, for me, I thought about, you know, his children and that there was a part of their dad that they would never know. And I would, you know, and then I thought, of course, I thought about our friendship, you know, and how I'd never see him again. And all those things run through your mind. And I, me and Death, like we are, me and Death, we cool now. We have definitely have an understanding. But then, oh no, I, I tried to avoid Death as much as possible. Anything about Death, I just didn't like. And it was a very, very heartbreaking time. I remember going to the funeral and it was televised and all swamp from Texas came. I'm talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Three of them died that day. Um, he killed three. And... You know, and I was thinking... You know, all of these lives that he impacted, and he was a sweet guy. Like, he really, he was just an amazing person. He had his issues just like we all do, but just an amazing person. You know, he really cared about people. I think that was the thing that, you know, I really, really loved about him. He just cared. He cared what happened to the people around him. That's what made him good at his job, you know? So, I go to the funeral and, you know, like I said, it's televised and there's all these people there. So, I, did, I couldn't even feel like I could even grieve the right way, you know, because you have to save faith. And I'm sitting there and next to the family and the kids and something in me broke. You know, and um, after the funeral, of course, all the family was together and, you know, they expected me to be there, but I couldn't do it. I left and I drove back home and I remember a a few times I had to stop on the side of the road because I was just weeping so much that I couldn't drive. And you know, I get back home and I can't function. You know, this is one of my best friends, been best friends, you know, for forever, you know. Um this is the person that, you know, I expected to be at my wedding, you know, to know my kids and our kids know each other and that we'd be old, you know, and we'd be old friends sitting on the porch, you know, drinking a beer, talking about how we were stupid kids and would do stupid things and, you know, for what? 
you know, for what? For some man who had no control over his emotions and his feelings and his life. And then the grief, you know, started to come. But I was in no way to deal with any of that, of, of that you know. Um, I barely, I barely cried. I was, you know, a little tough girl. You know, always got the game face on. Never show anybody any emotion. So I didn't cry. And it just started bubbling and bubbling and bubbling up inside of me. Um, because, you know, I didn't know I was avoiding. I was avoiding the feeling of what that felt. I didn't want to feel it. And, uh, of course, the shock, you know, still in shock. And then the roller coaster, right, of grief comes and the anger. I remember looking up the name of the guy that did it and being like, I wish I could just erase him, you know, and his family, you know, and what would that look like, you know, and feeling that that moment of wanting payback, you know, and that is one of the things about grief. I think that we are not as real as we shook out. Um, I wanted him to pay, you know, for what he had done, you know, to my friend and to our lives. And then, of course, came the, wow, you know, part where I knew I needed emotional support. I did. At this point, I couldn't. I was crying at work too much. I was crying to break down, and the pressure was there. For the first time in my life, and this is the first time I got counseling, I was like, you know, I remember as my dad, as my dad told me, he's like, maybe you need, maybe you need to go see a counselor. You know, maybe you need to go see a great counselor. And I remember going and um, starting the process and you know I remember um, you know they um, went through the process they gave me of course pills this is where they were really giving pills a lot but I'm very anti-pill um, and so I didn't take them um, but the, uh, cause like they gave me like Xanax and, and Valium and something else. And I remember taking it and being like, so out of it. And I'm like, well, I won't, you know, like, you just don't want me to feel anything. <laughs> like, I don't feel nothing. And there's something in me that just clicked. Like you need to feel, you need to feel what's going on here. And so that's what I started talking to my therapist about, about what, I felt, um, and then that's when he taught me, you know, the seven stages of grief, and he walked me, you know, through each of them, walked me through the fact that, you know, what meaning is there, <laughs> you know, what meaning is there in this, and that's, you know, the bargaining um, with the anger, and then, of course, the depression, um, and then the, you know, the loneliness, like feeling alone. Um, I remember um, at that time, you know, my other friend, I'm talking to him and 
feeling, even though he was, you know, my first friend and he's definitely my best friend, there was this level of emptiness between us. There was a part of us that was, you know, gone. And did I even really want to be friends with him anymore? And did I just, I don't think I was a good friend. I wasn't a very good friend, you know, because I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it with him. And I didn't want to carry his grief with him. Um, sometimes I regret that. Other times I don't. Um, sometimes it just is what it is, right? So I, uh, you know, went through that alone. And even though I had that therapy and I remember him telling me, he's like, you're going to have to go through this over and over and over again sometimes it can be a roller coaster and sometimes it can be um you know you'll go back and forth and i was just like are you seeing like how long am i gonna feel this way how long and then then i went back to you know confusion back to denial anger anxiety struggling to find meaning, overwhelmed, you know, and then it just angry, 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 angry. Um, and that is the place where I had to really sit myself down and force myself into the acceptance stage and being like, look, he's not coming back. He is, he's dead. And no matter how that happened or what that was, you being angry, you being in this constant state of confusion, trying to find meaning, you know, um, all of a sudden I'm partying more, you know, and going out more and, you know, trying to find something outside of myself. But it's like, at what point do you just say, I'm sad, and this sucks, and just sit with that, and that level um, of acceptance. What I learned through going through that is that that is a true place of growth, because in that level of acceptance, well, I was forced to think about the good things, right? Think about how proud he would have been of himself, you know, because at the end of the day, he died doing something that he loved, right? Um, he died being a hero, you know? He was a hero. They got the guy, you know, the family was saved, right? And, well, that's all we can hope for in this world, right? That we go and leave a mark on this world, right? So I had to think about that. And as I started going through life after that, that's kind of what led to this sort of thing where, you know, um, I started being the grief person for people. And the very next year, 
Like I did not get a break, y'all. The very next year, I had a 23-year-old friend who um, was supposed to go out that night. And I was supposed to go out with him and his um, his ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend was all supposed to meet up. And for whatever reason, he went out earlier than us. He did not wait for us. And he got super, super drunk. And we don't know who he was with. Um, to this day, we don't know who he was with. And he... Uh, got into the car with somebody, I guess trying to meet us where we were. And on the way, I don't know what happened, um, but decided to get out of the car. And of course he was drunk and he crossed the street and he got hit by a car. 23 year old, young guy, um, Dominican. And I'm Puerto Rican and he was Dominican and we were both from the Bronx. And, you know, Dominicans and Puerto Ricans notoriously don't always get along. but we loved each other, you know, he was just, he was just so full of life and, you know, and we just had a, we just had the both same, you know, real positive, happy mindset. And I remember being like, I can't believe I'm going through this again, like six months later and here I am. And going through this again, someone I love, gone. Here we go again, shock fear, frustration, anxiety, right? And this was even worse because his mom and his whole family, nobody, um, he did not have family there. This was in Texas and he didn't have family there. He was, Texas is an adventure. And it's the same for me. I wasn't there with any family. I just wanted to have an adventure. And if there's any place for a good adventure, it's definitely Texas. So he didn't have any family there. And so there was no one with him at the hospital um, and they had him on um, on life support, but essentially he was brain dead. And I remember being in there, you know, with the doctor and I had no say, like, I'm not his family or anything. And his ex-girlfriend was there and it was just us, ex-girlfriend, me, and that's it. And... Um, we we told them we're like do not do not unplug him until his mom gets down here and i believe it took her like three days to get there three or four days so for three or four days i had to sit by his side and i remember i I took off of work and um you know it was ooh heavy you know, was all that time we're sitting there and we're singing and, you know, singing to him, stroking his hand. Um, I believe his soul is still there. I, I truly believe it. Um, you know, there were some times that his eyelids would flutter and they'd be like, no, he's really, you know, he's really gone. He's really gone. I was like, no, he's not. His mom is not here yet. You know, the bond between a Hispanic mother and her son is is a different sort of thing. So, and I had never met his family um, until that fourth day. And they walked into the door and, oh my gosh, it was just, you know, 
it was a beautiful moment because there was gratitude and there was instant love and compassion. The love of someone else will bind you to someone else, you know, um, in, a, in a beautiful way, if you look at it that way. And um, we sat there as she said goodbye to her kid. And that was rough. You know, who wants to say goodbye to a 23-year-old child of theirs? You know, no matter the situation, a child is a child, and a child is never meant to leave before their parents. So, you know, we were going to leave, and she insisted that we stay while they pulled the plug. And... You know, you do remember we sang um, again and all said goodbye. And I just remember, and I don't know, like I said, the doctor said that this was normal, but I don't care what anybody says. I feel like he heard his mom. You know, because that is when um, liquid came out of his eyes. And I don't, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's a scientific reason or whatever that, you know, tears and blood were coming out of his eyes. And that's when I broke, you know. Loss is never meant to feel good, right? Loss is no, it's just not meant to. Losing never feels good for anything. For anything that we do, loss is not a good thing, right? And I think that there is just something in the journey of grief that should, that should be embraced. Um, Because I remember at that point, being like, okay, if this is going to be a recurrence in my life now that I'm a real grown-up and these real grown-up situations are coming, I can't fight against it. Because if I fight against this, my mind will break and I will be no good for no one. And I remember thinking like, Oh, I'm only 27. I I haven't even had a kid yet. I am too young, (laughs) you know, to to um to break. I'm too young to break. At this point, I'd already been diagnosed with PTSD when I was 21, um, and PCOS as well, um, which is why I always insisted on being so like hardcore strong. And this was like the time where it's like, no, you can't be strong anymore. You have to learn how to find strength and happiness in weakness and in sorrow. Um, And that was it. I had to find something beautiful in that moment. And as I got to the acceptance part of speech, of, um, of grief, and embracing that, it became... A uh, 
healing balm to a lot of things that happened in my life. Like we all have certain stages of loss. I know if any of you can come up here, you can you can have an uh, any moment of trauma where you felt some sort of loss. Um, I know that when you know I was raped, I felt a loss of my femininity. I know that you know when I lost my virginity, I lost a piece of my childhood, you know, and all these things. And when I had my first breakup where I really loved someone and felt like it was the end of the world. And I realized it's okay to feel like that. Like, no, it's okay to not be okay, but it's okay to embrace sadness. It's okay to embrace sorrow, right? Grief is a process and you cannot process something, process something if you do not get into that place because the process isn't about um you know just getting over it you know the process is not about getting over it the process is through journey through it journey through that loss of what that loss meant to you um in essence you know i really believe that this is a part of conflict resolution as well you have to sit with yourself and be real with what you lost you have to be real with what that meant to you you have to be real with i'm going to accept this l right it's it's hard to be a loser (laughs) Right? I'm just going to say it like that. It's hard to be a loser. You know, it's hard to take a nail. You know, that's why they had the term sore loser. Which in my mind, yeah, you should be sore every time you lose. You know? Um, but you shouldn't stay there. And this is where the journey comes in. Um, looking at each part of your grief and saying, okay, this is what it is now. And I accept for what it is right now, but I have the hope and the expectation that by embracing this and saying, okay, yeah, I'm here and I feel so frustrated or irritated or anxiety, but this is not who I am. It's just what I am going through. And through each of those times and ever since, I have learned to let myself grieve, allow myself to grieve. How many times um, are you allowed to grieve? Uh, I felt like a lot of times um, in situations, people don't don't allow, we don't give ourselves the allowance to grieve in a nice and proper way. In uh, cultures all over the world, um, there are rituals for death rituals for grieving process um and i don't know what it is in our our american society we have the funeral we have the wake um but there's no actual there's not many rituals you know for grieving which i believe that there should be 
Um, so I'm going to take a break right now and say, hey, to everybody, I have 21 people here, and I'm so thankful. Um, I'm the Hayoka Experience. You can follow me on Instagram right now. Um, and I appreciate everybody that has been following me and has been giving me space to talk as well. It's been a real fun journey being on this app and meeting new people with their different types of views. So if there's anybody that wants to come on and maybe give a uh, picture of what the journey of grief has been like for you or what that's looked like, I'll, I would love to hear from you um, or any of your stories. Or if anybody's going through any sort of grief right now, talking about it is a an excellent stage. Um, that is definitely part of the um, acceptance part. Is part, and that you have to take that step. You have to take that step to embrace whatever loss that you're going through. Um, you know, I have right now just to bring it a little bit more personal, a little bit more now, you go you go through it and you go through it and you go through it. And it's not like you become a pro. It's, it never feels good. But the more you go through it, the more you grow and the more you find a, a beauty in a process and you're able to, in essence, lay something to bed, right? In a really healthy way. Um, because even though Abel was already in the ground, it took a long time for me to let him rest. And I feel like this is super, super important. And I'm gonna go kind of off topic here. Um, as a medium, the first thing I learned about the, uh, the dead that were not onto their next journey, wherever that may be, is that nine times out of 10, they are being held by people that are alive and that are in grief and that are energetically still holding them to them and not letting them go. And that is, oh my gosh, that is a horrific thing to see. Um, seeing someone that has passed away and their spirit is stuck here because someone on this earth won't let them go. Um, energy, energy ties are super, super, super real. And <clears throat> it's not healthy at all. Not healthy at all. And I find it to be extremely, extremely selfish. And uh, I think, I think if people really understood, you know, the pain that the person that has passed on feels by having to still deal with this earth instead of moving on or the attachment that they feel. Um, There's been a bunch of different versions and reboots of this magic. Excuse me. So what's interesting about Arcana maybe popping back up here at MCU is that they're also getting the I have my 12 year old here. You see, Marvel just recently revealed that their big summer event well, series will end up sending through this one. <laughs> I'm sorry if y'all heard that. Well, y'all did. That's fine. My 12-year-old kid, his headphones just came off. But um, the uh, struggles that they go through, 
is because someone has not processed their grief in a, in a, in a proper way to let them go and they're holding on. You're fine. You're good. So, I lost my little train of thought there. Um, so, yeah. If you are in grief over someone that has passed away, push yourself through the grief process. Let that person go. Like, let that person go um, with love and with your blessing. Um, holding that. There's a lot of soul ties that people have. And they literally do not let someone that has passed rest in peace. <laughs> literally, it's a thing. It's a thing. And um, not only do you not rest in peace, you're not letting anybody else around you rest. Have you ever met anybody that couldn't let a loss go? Um, a loss of anything. You know, a loss of a job, a loss of a lover, um, a loss of money. Oh my goodness, losing money makes me sad. <laughs> I'm super, super sad. And I have to grieve. So like that instance, you know, you have to you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to be on to be on that journey. So the more you're on it, the easier it does get and I want to say, um, the more you can gain from it. Um, I think of like harvest time in the fall where, you know, everything gets cut down, right? And you get prepared for the loss of winter and cold of winter. And we're still in our winter time before spring is getting ready to spring up on us. And there is a time of, you know, reflection of that loss. Um, where the reality of the loss can be felt, you know, a little bit more than others. Sit in that moment, you know, sit in that moment and embrace it for what it is. Um, a lot of times people run to extra things, um, alcohol, um, drugs, you know, food, sex, you know, overachieving, underachieving, depression. All sorts of ways that we go to try to cope and you know there are healthy tools you know but at some point in time just sitting in the stillness and meditating and just letting yourself feel sad or feel angry or feel that depression and loving yourself through that that's that's a self-love thing to sit with yourself and say you know what I don't know what to do in this moment. I'm struggling to find meaning. I don't know how to to deal with this or I'm, you know, I'm irritated or I'm overwhelmed and you feel helpless and all those things. You know, sometimes, sometimes in the journey of grief, it is just good to sit down and let those feelings flow. And it could be really, really painful. Um, I know that, like I said, right now I'm in a journey. Um, I really, truly feel like I am on the path to becoming a shaman. Oh, I have a guest waiting. Okay, Tristan Smith. Come on in. 
I'm going to go ahead and pause my story and let Tristan come on in. Welcome, Tristan. How are you tonight? I am amazing. Well, welcome Bless, to the really. Yoga Experience. Yes, yes, I'm very happy to hear it. Let me go ahead and hear what you have to talk about tonight. I've seen Great Eagle. You've seen what? I've seen the Great Eagle. No way. Want to tell us about it? Uh, nope, not right now. Okay. So what do you think about the journey of grief? I think it's beautiful. I feel like the more grief and war and all that bullshit, uh, Mm-hmm. The more blood and guts and feelings and sadness, the more uh, hope and restoration and resurrection, you know? And death is life. Uh, and life is life, you know? Uh, yeah. Death is death to me. Um, How do they differentiate for you? Uh, okay, so for me, I feel like I'm still fighting. I'm, I'm alive right now, but I am surviving. And I will get to a point where I'm thriving and living, but I have mm-hmm. never been dead. And I can joke around with the idea that oh, I'm dead, you know, I'm dead to my flesh or I'm dead to my spirit. No, as long as I'm alive and breathing, I'm alive to my spirit and I am mm-hmm. alive to my flesh. And what does that mean to you? Uh, that means that, uh, I still have a chance. Mm. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that awesome? Because that means anything can happen. Like, anything. The sky's the limit. There's no limitations for you. Yes. So how do you incorporate that while you're in a moment of grief? Well, I go ahead and flip the script back to you. What do you think about the journey of grief? Oh, gosh. Well, like I said, I think it's beautiful. Um, I think it is a, a tool for healing. And it can be, a, honestly, ultimately, it is a gateway a gateway of living and a gateway of strength. So, yeah, you know, I think it's going like, maybe. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say. I think grief can recalibrate you back to a real sense of. A reality that you can come back from. Right. In essence, gives you a, a renewed lease on life. Right. Yeah, or like the the most real, most realist outlook. You know, the saltiest version. You know, the truest version. Usually, truth is the, the hardest. I think that that is a very key thing to bring up. Because with grief, you have to face a truth that you don't want to face. Mm. Right? Mm. Can you think, can you, do you mind sharing with us a time that you went through that and what facing that truth did for you in that moment? Um, humbled me. And explain that humbleness, because I love to say humility is um, not humiliation. I wish I could explain humbleness. I really can't. I just I just know that 
in that moment, whatever moment, whatever moment it may be, it definitely humbled me. Right. And that is common. That is common to have that, um, that humble moment. And oh, it's different for everybody because there's different real, you know, realizations that come in that place of humility. Um, it just, I think it, a lot of it. You, you planted, I feel like you, you plant a deeper seed. If you, like, if you humbled me, you plant, plant such a deeper seed inside of me, you know, or if I humbled you or somehow you ended up, we ended up humbled together or some shit, you know, uh, plant a seed. It all goes back to the Bible, man. I can't, I can't get away from it. It's in <laughs> Christ, bro. It's in Christ. <laughs> Well, I will say I'm an omnis, so I do take pleasure in everything mystic and everything spiritual. So, yeah, there is definitely a lot in the Bible that does talk about that, as well as other other scripts as well. Um, but that I think in that humility and in that truth, there's a grounding. Spirit, leave me where my trust is without borders. We walk upon these waters. Song is gonna be stuck in my head now. Of my savior. It's gonna be stuck in my head now. So we have that, and when we have that humility, and like you said, when you have that seed, there's an ability for you to. Will my grow. feet forever wander, and my faith will be made stronger. Wherever you should call me. That's a dirty ass song. <laughs> it is a song. How does that song speak to you? What does it tell you? Uh, it, it tells me some of the mysteries of life, you know, all in that one song right there. And how old are you, Tristan? 25. Oh, well, beautiful time here. Beautiful, beautiful time in the twenties. Do you feel like you're transitioning? I feel like I'm so fucking behind it. It's retarded, but I'm about to get up and go. Well, I definitely wish you well on all of your journeys. Um, it's a good time. It's a good time to be twenty-five. This is my only journey. You know, it's my last journey. My only journey. You think so? Yeah, I'm not going to be back. Why not? You're finished. Why don't you think you're going to be back? Because I feel like I finished what I had to do. Oh, that's a good thing. I have this um, on my journey here. I don't know. I I'm have just, this I'm idea. Out of my hat, you know what I'm saying? Pulling shit out of my hat. But... But Most yeah, of I believe us speak out of our ass on a regular basis. But there's always some truth in there, right? If you're really paying attention, right? I mean, I believe it. You know what I'm saying? I feel like right? I haven't been here before, and this is the only time I've been here. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's different belief systems of, you know, reincarnation. And, of course, you know, people talk about, you know, when you tell you have to fix, fix your karma, you know, from other lives. So, you know. Yep. Listen, you're not you're not off base. You're not off base, and I do believe that there are some people that if come I back multiple every times. Karmic. Ooh. Do you think you have karma? If I could fix everybody's karmic, like let's say there's uh, 120,000 karmics 
puzzles that I have to solve. If I could solve all those before I die, boom, leave the world such a better fucking place. You do? You think that? Yeah, it'd be badass, wouldn't it? I think someone would fuck it up. <laughs> you think so? That's fucked up. <laughs> I just had to be real in that moment because, you know, the beauty of the butterfly effect is. You know, once once that moment happens, you have no control over what happens next, right? Yeah, so, yeah, you fix some of the karma. Well, guess what? Someone's going to create a new one. This is, uh, this is the circle of life. <laughs> next, <laughs> it's next time life. around. Yeah. Right, right. And as much as we love to think that we can fix something, I think that that is... Um, False. We can. Don't even go there. Don't even speak it on me, girl. You can definitely fix something, but you can't control control what happens next. I can prophesize it. I can live it. I can believe it, and I can receive it. You know what I'm saying? I ain't even. Uh uh. Bye bye. (laughs) That all. I'm tickled. You have me tickled tonight, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, as we are wrapping up our last seconds of you here, if you could really leave something. Okay. With the um, group, what would you leave with the group? Read your Bible, man. Read your Bible and quit running from what you know you need to go to. Right. Just check. And what would you think that people need to go to? It's not for me. It's not for me to say. Just check your Bible up. Check it out. Tell right. me what New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Somebody save me, me from myself. I've been so long living in here. Thank you so much, Tristan, for joining us tonight and giving us your view on grief and what that means to you. Um, And now we're at 32. So thank you, everybody, for being here tonight as we talk about the journey of grief. I have talked about a little bit of the cycle of grief, about the ups and downs, and some of my experiences with grief as well, as well as the seven stages of grief and the importance of embracing it. And that the more you embrace it, the uh, more you grow, the more you are able to find beauty in things that are not so much fun things to deal with. Um, the death of any situation or of any issue or of any person um, is something that you should honor. I think a lot of times, you know, that aspect of honoring that leg of your journey kind of gets mixed. And for me, when I am going through a grieving process, I give honor, you know, to what that was and what that meant in my life and the things that came about through my life, you know, through that situation or through that person or through that action. Um, And then at that way, you know, I'm able to pour life and speak life into that into that situation 
Um, one of the great things that I really love that Tristan did bring up is the fact that once you get to that acceptance, you are finding that truth, your truth. And wow, what an amazing thing to find out new things about yourself. Um, and every single one of those situations that I spoke about, I learned something about myself. I learned about what I thought was important in life. Um, through grief and through death, I have learned to value people immensely um, and to not sweat stuff that isn't important. Um, I, I will be more anal about you being true to yourself and you embracing your life than I will about your mistakes in your life, right? Because your know, mistakes are part of what make you interesting. You know, mistakes is part of what makes you who you are and what gets you to, you know, the place that, that you want to be, wherever that is. And there is that moment where that truth and that acceptance and that reality of whatever you're grieving comes and then it's like, okay, and what now? What now? You know? And I think that's a great thing. Because um, it means hey, it's a new chapter. That moment um, after having those is right when I met my son's father. And um, when we met, he was such, he was a friend. You know, he was a friend to me, you know, in my grief. And I would not have been open to him as a friend or as anything, if not for the fact that I had not lost, you know, just lost two very dear friends of mine. And um, it made me learn, you know, death, one thing death has made me very, very, very much do is accept people for who they are. Now, you know, I haven't been so good on the boundaries of the stupid stuff that people do around me. Um, I'm still finding the balance if I'm very, very honest because until, like, honestly, like, my boundaries are super, super flexible uh, until they get, like, around my kid. Like, you know, y'all just heard my kid. Like, he had his TV on and it kind of interrupted and he was probably more flustered than I was because I'm okay with anything that happens, you know, when it comes to my kid. I have a kid, you know? Like, there's no changing that and he is in my space all the time and he's allowed to be um, whenever he is. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, we're always together. We're not. You know, he's just, I teach him to be very independent, but any sort of inconvenience that happens to my life because of my child to me is not an inconvenience at all I and mean, if anybody else thinks that well then you are the problem because it's part of motherhood and I, one thing I will never 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 sacrifice on anybody is being a mother 
Um, so he's pretty much the only boundary that people can, um, anything with my parenthood, you cross anything with my parenthood and, um, you know, you're going to get all of mama bear and I really don't care, you know, what the circumstances are. I'm not going to care. Um, but my other boundaries, they're flexible. I have boundaries on, you know, how people talk to me, you know, what you are and what you're not going to do. Um, I have a boundary of gossip. Like, I don't like to hear gossip about anybody um, or anything, you know. Sometimes I'll listen, but ultimately, I don't care. You know, is there a solution? Is there a solution about this? Why are you telling me this? I don't care. Um, and people's privacy, you know. Um, what people do is what people do. And that's theirs. And so, you know, through death, I learned to embrace and accept people are, as they are in this moment right now. Because no matter how they came to me, they came to me. And that's an experience. You know, like us talking on here. You jump on here, cool. That's awesome. We have this connection. We have this moment. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, that's a moment of being able to connect, being able to grow. Bring real to share, you know. And that, to me, is more important more important because at any point moment you can be gone right you can be dead and to me the worst thing the worst thing that could ever happen in my life is me not embrace every single moment for what it is um in a way that makes me want to make the best of every moment the best of every day, the best of every connection. I want it to be awesome, you know, because why not, you know, and even the people I don't like. like I can hang out with anybody I don't like probably right now, um, except for people that have crossed me when it comes to my kid. You know, once you cross me when it comes to my kid, yeah, you don't. You, and it's really, you know, it's just really so that I don't get out of character because I'm going to get out of character for my kid. You know, so it's best that, you know, we not be around each other. If I feel like you're going to pop off at the lip about my child or or put him, you know, in a situation that, you know, would not be good for him. So, you know, through that process of just embracing people for who they are and, and wanting to have every single connection that I have be one of, creating a lot a good life experience um grief has helped me you know grow grief has made me more loving um losing relationships you know oh my gosh the loss of a relationship i'm a libra and i am everything libra and i don't care that's like that's my face you know my face my libra face and i just I love love. I fall in love many, many, many times. And I love it. I'll fall in love for the rest of my life for, you know, hopefully one day it'll just be the same person over and over and over again. But I'm okay with love. I'm okay with losing love. But with every loss of love, I felt a pang of loss. Even if I didn't like them, even if I initiated it, I felt that pang of just, ugh, loss. Um, 
and through each of those losses, I have let myself sit. Um, There's only one loss where I, I could not, and I had a real breakdown of cognitive dissonance, and um, that was when I broke up with my son's father. And it wasn't so much of me breaking up with um, him and us getting a divorce. I was okay with that. What I was not okay with, and this is what I had to grieve, um, was the fact that all of a sudden, my son was not going to have his dad in the home. And I felt this grief so harsh because I grew up with my father. My mom and dad are still married now. And they've been married for 43 years. And that was an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. And no matter, you know, um, what, the comfort of knowing you come home and your mom and your dad are there, man, that's still, that's still a wonderful thing for me. You know, it's still a wonderful thing to spend time with my mom and my dad together. Um, I love it, you know, and when my dad is in his TV room and my mom is in there and she's talking football with him and I come in there and I like to just sit down and listen to them, right? And it's a special thing for me. And the realization that my son was not going to have that experience Ooh, goody. You want to talk about a grief worse than any grief I ever forgot. That is the worst grief um, I ever felt. Um, I felt failure, you know, felt failure um, as a mother. You know, like I failed my child by breaking up with his daddy. And, you know, now all of a sudden I am a single mother and now I'm a stereotype. I'm a number, and now my son is just a typical, you know, black kid with no dad in the home, and oh my goodness, and they're like, oh my gosh, like, I cannot tell you, I had to go to severe therapy um, for that, um, hardcore, like, hardcore every day, you know, every other day, it felt like I was in therapy all week for, you know, a good half a year, um, just accepting the fact that my son no longer had his dad in the home. Um, and, um, you know, his dad was going through a real rough patch in the journey of his life. And it was ugly. It was just ugly. And this man who, honestly, had taken really, really good care of me, was sitting here across the table talking about I don't want to be a dad anymore. I can't be a father anymore. And like, oh my gosh, I just remember sitting there and I remember this day like if it was yesterday and just hearing him like, I'm like, man, I, I can't believe this. Like, I was like, my brain was like, no, no, it's not saying that to you. But he said it repeatedly over six months. And every single time it was like, it was like being shot. It was like being shot. Because in my mind, like, I don't care. I mean, I don't care about being in you anymore. I'm like, I'm okay with that. I've had breakups. I'm good. You know, it's my second divorce. I'm getting, you know, this is like, hey, you're getting good at this. I'm really good at breakups. I'm really good at detaching. But your kid, 
how can you detach from your child? Because even the fact, I, I can't think of any moment where I'd say I, I don't want to be a mother anymore. There hasn't been not one. Even with postpartum depression, even with PCOS, even with PTSD, all things, you know, I was on bed rest. I had to learn how to walk again. I had severe nerve damage. All through that, there was never one moment that um, I didn't want to be a mother. And so, you know, I knew that that was his reality and not mine. Um, and I did, I remember thinking at that moment, like, I can never, I got to protect my kid now. Now I got to protect my kid from the trauma because, well, you know, his dad, like, we were married. This wasn't, you know, baby mama, baby daddy situation. We were married. He came home at 4.30 every day. Dinner was on the table by five. You know, we sat at the table and held hands and prayed together. We taught Sunday school together. You know, he was a youth pastor for a split second. You know, we, you know, did all these things together. And now all of a sudden, you know, I have to explain to, you know, my six-year-old son that, you know, no, okay, my daddy's not going to um, help take you, you know, take a bath anymore. Daddy's not going to feed the weed books for you every night anymore because that was a routine. You know, he would, um, you know, it's one of the things I asked him to do, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, could you, you know, be the one to bathe our son? And could you be the one to, you know, he, well, he was the one that wanted to put him to bed um, because, you know, he always wanted that final chicken, wow, wow, fine. So, and he knew that I was just like, gonna let my son lay in the bed with us, you know, every night. And he's like, no, that's not happening. Um, so that was every night from the moment my son was born until he was six years old. And then, bam, gone, you know, and bam, you know, he's going through his own process of, of grief and loss and trying to figure out who he is. And oh my gosh, it was not pretty. And I remember thinking, like, I'm the only one that, I'm the only one that has to keep it together. And I felt like it's so unfair that he can just quit. You know, he can go quit and just whatever he's going through and go through that just fine. And here I am with this little boy who has had his whole life turned upside down and will never be the same again. And so the grief of that and the process of working through that, um, the hardest things I ever had to do. The hardest thing I ever had to do because I had to do it in a way of, well, I had to do it in, like I had to tell myself like, girl, you gotta do this for final. Like you, whatever grief you feel about this, you gotta go through it and you gotta go through it hard. Because number one, I will not allow you to have a bitterness. I mean, I will never, never. Bitterness will kill you and destroy everything in your life. So I have always actively fought against bitterness. And uh, that aspect of trauma. But it was like, no, you got to stay here. 
um, and you got to feel it. And it was a good, um, hardcore six months of feeling that grief. Um, and ooh, that's a long time to go through grief, but not really. People go through grief for, for a very, very much longer time. But I had had some experience, you know, and the more you experience it, and the more you do it, and the more you go to therapy, and the more that you trust in your higher power, or the higher power that is yourself. I believe that you are born with God inside of you, because you are a part of him, the creator is a part of you, the universe is part of you. You are just another me. We're all connected. So I went through that and I was like, I had to find that acceptance, you know, and what did that, the acceptance and the beauty of what that meant? Well, number one, you know, the beauty of, well, thank goodness he at least has that. He has that. Let me preserve, help preserve those beautiful memories for him so that those will be something he can look back at. And hopefully when his dad has grown through this stage, they'll still have those good memories together. So, you know, I made sure to save every picture. Now, my mother does something, has done something, and I, this is horrible. In my mother's house, on her picture wall, she has left up every single picture of that man. Because my parents tell her, my mom, she loved my ex-husband. Oh my God, she loved him so much. And he loved her. But oh my goodness. So you walk in and he's he's still here. You know, on the wall. You know, all of our and I'm like, Mom, could you at least take the you know, the engagements and the you know, the wedding and the one where it's just me and him, could you just take those down? Goodness gracious. <laughs> like, I am not with that man anymore and I don't wanna you know, do that. But, you know, she told me, she's like, that's a part of your son's history. And I want him to know that I'm proud of it. And um, I had to accept that. I still don't love it. I, I don't really like love it so much. Um, but, yeah, you know, in grief and in loss, you got to be okay. You can't squash it. You can't pretend like it didn't happen. Like it didn't exist, right? You can't erase it. Erasing your past is such a dishonor to yourself. I believe so. You know, my past is my past is what made me. Um, there's things I've done that I am not proud of. Oh my god, I have done some stupid, stupid shit in my life. Let me count the ways. Oh my god, sometimes I've done some stupid things, you know. Um and it's still part of my growth. Right? It's still part of who I am, it's still part of the the quirky thing that is Erica Hioka, you know? It's the Hioka experience. This is me. You know, bullshit or not, you know? I, I power through it, you know? I get through it. I learn to use that shit as fertilizer, you know? And I think in that journey of grief, that's, you know, what I found too. Um, you know, with my son, with my father, um, his, his father. And, um, not doing that. It's like, okay, well, the reality is, yeah, you know, I'm a divorcee, you know, um, and I got failed a second marriage. Dang it. You know, it's all right. It's whatever. Number three should, should be okay. Right. Third time's a try. you know, and not only that, acceptance and, and happiness, 
you know, that it happened. I think a lot of joy in that. I learned a lot from that marriage. You know, um, oh, he's the only man that ever got me pregnant. Oh my gosh. You know, um, well, technically he's not. I did have a miscarriage, but this was a couple of years ago. But, you know, it was a beautiful thing. Um, our love story was beautiful, you know, quirky, fun. You know, our wedding was nice and beautiful, quirky, fun. You know, we had fun together. We had a good things, and ultimately, you know, we made an amazing kid together. And that's something to be very, very happy about and very thankful for. And in that grief and reconstruction and working through that and making place for that in my life, well, a new me emerged, you know, a new me that, you know, understood that, you know, that traditional lifestyle that you were holding on, you were so proud of so much. Like Tristan said, I got humbled because, oh, Lordy, you know, throughout everything, I really was proud and happy that I was, you know, in a marriage with a, with, with a husband that cared about me and loved me. And, you know, he did even through all the stuff, you know, that, that we had. And, and, you know, he did love me. He took care of me. Uh, when I was pregnant, like I said, I was on bed rest. That man, like I said, he was working three jobs. Um, because, like I said, I lost my job. And this was in 2008. And I lost every penny I had um, through the housing crash. And, oh, my gosh. You want to talk about grief there? That, that, that was some grief. You know, it was some grief when at the beginning of the year, you know, I had X amount of dollars and then it's like, okay, you're pregnant. You're going to have to be on bed rest. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's good because I got money in the bank, right? And so I'm like, you know, we'll just, let me go ahead and get all this money. I'm going to go ahead and let's just go ahead and buy a house and I'm going to put this down payment down and I'm just going to pay you. You know, let me go ahead and pay a year of the mortgage too. <laughs> and then I go and there was roughly one thousand six hundred seventy-one dollars and twelve cents. And I was like, wait, wait, what? What? And I was like, no, so I got robbed. You know, something is what someone did something to my account. Um, in my 401k and all my stocks and my bonds and you know either he's like no I've worked my whole 20s for this just to have it wiped out in a few months what are y'all doing and okay, I, I wasn't worried about, I wasn't caring about that I was in the throes of love and I was pregnant and doing registrations and you know, trying to stay alive and be on bed rest. I don't think I was watching the news. I didn't watch the news ever since 9-11. I don't watch the news. And, um, you know, obviously to my detriment. And the shock, the shock of seeing that and having to turn to this guy, you know, and be like, okay, you know, you thought you was with a bala chick. <laughs> I ain't no bala chick no more. Surprise! You know? <laughs> oh, the grief of that. It took me years to get over that. I'm not even gonna lie. It took me years um, as, you know, we really struggle. Um, 
I would think about, you know, my gosh, if I had just paid attention to what was going on in the world, if I was just paying attention, I would have been able to save something. I would have, I would have yanked that money out and protected myself. I lost everything I worked for. Lost everything. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even do stocks, you know, for a long time or anything like that. I stopped trading and, um, you know, just, I would feel the loss of that. And I don't, thank God today I don't, <laughs> I don't feel the pain in the middle of my stomach of losing all that money. Um, but yeah, cause I, yeah, at this point it's gone. There's nothing I can do about it. I had to learn how to embrace and accept that and, you know, learn. There was no angry and bargaining because what was I going to do, you know? But hey, that was the year we got our first black president. So, whoop-de-doo, you know? <laughs> Excitement over something, I guess. Um, I probably should have gone to financial grief therapy. I did not go to any grief therapy over losing my life savings. <laughs> but I did learn how to accept it. And I did learn how to grow and to get over it. So. Here we are, and let me just go ahead and say hi to everybody else that's still here. I have 40 of y'all on here. Is there anybody that wants to come up and talk about their journeys of grief um, or anything that they've gone through? Like, please join me. I would love to hear from you. Um, Everybody has their own way of processing, so I'm sure you might have something that would help somebody else. the more you do grief, the more you go through the journey of grief, the easier it is. But it's still always something important. I think it's something important to do. So let's go ahead and come down to, uh, you know, my year. Um, 2020, COVID. Okay, so yeah. That's what I was starting to talk about. Um, you know, in, ni- in, 29- well, in 2018, my grandmother passed away. And... Um, uh, it is truly my belief that, you know, my grandmother had some very significant spiritual powers. And I know that just from me and her time, you know, together, um, she had a vision and a sight and uh, a couple of other things too. And, uh, but she was Catholic. And then towards the end of her life, she was non-denominational Christian. And, um, but she just told me a lot, you know, and I just knew that there was something extra spiritual about her. Well, when she passed away, it was like, ooh, everything that she had been blocking just rushed, you know, onto me. And um, I just was just in so many, you know, so many crazy things being presented to me. And I had to start on my spiritual awakening and my spiritual journey. Um, And through that, you know, I became what I say now, yoga, and that is, you know, truly what I believe, um, you know, has always been for me, and I'm probably talk about that on my official podcast, so if you follow me at all, you will hear about that, um, more in depth, but, um, you know, through the process of that and having this claim to be more myself, to delve more into this spiritual aspect of me and learning that, you know, grief for you is a way of life, you know, because 
Well, I'm an, I'm an, you know, spiritual life coach. So now I regularly talk to the spiritual life coach. So of course, going through spiritual therapy for people is, um, my gosh, you know, you're searching someone's soul and seeing someone's soul. And um, I see a lot of, a lot of trauma. You know, I see a lot of sadness on um, any given Sunday. And I see a lot of pain on a regular, on a regular basis. And, um, you know, through that process, it's like, well, you know, I can't let that, um, you know, I gotta help, you know, these people, you know, realize this is a, this is a, not just a process, but it's an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity to create something beautiful in your life. Which I believe anything is. I believe that anything that happens to you is an opportunity. Um, you can take these situations that happen to you, bad situations that happen to you, and you can flip them. Um, you can flip them. And this is coming from somebody that, you know, I've been, I've been beaten. I've been raped. I've been taken advantage of. And all the wonderful things that could make me cry victim over and over and over again. Um, I've almost died five times, you know, and I feel like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things I can think about. There's a lot of things I could, you know, feel sorry for, you know, myself and my life or make those my stories, you know, all these, you know, bad things that are coming from. But as I go on this spiritual journey and um, as I go through each level and get that deeper understanding and am able to share that life with others, you know, I am so impacted, impacted, is that a even word? It's probably not a word. I am so um, in that place of just like, hey, feel your sadness, feel your pain, your feelings are Loud, scream, cry, you know, go punch something, go do, you know, go do some extra aerobics, you know, um, do what you can, you know, to take care of yourself. And self-care can be so many different things, but the deeper I get into this and the deeper I get into it, even on, you know, with myself, like you got to you got to get in your own mud sometimes, you know, I know people talking about, you know, growing up, come pulling themselves out of the mud, there's a spiritual aspect, a soul aspect, an emotional aspect of, you know, sitting in your own shit, <laughs> you know, and there's really no other way to put it, um, there's no other way I can, and could, you know, say that, you know, because if you don't, you're going to miss out on a key aspect of who you are, right? In death is life. Anytime you have a loss, there is an opportunity for life for you. So I'm going through this, right? I wrote a book um, called 31 Flavors of Love and this is my baby. Oh my gosh. I'm a, I'm, I love this book so much and I can't wait to release it. March 22nd, um, spring equinox, you know, 
new year. Um, and as I wrote this book, I, you know, I did go through, you know, also the grieving process again of certain things that I didn't even know I had to grieve. Um, but as I was going through that, I realized, you know, my quest to shamanism, man, I'm going to lose everything. Like, all these connections that I have right now, none of them can come with me. And this was about, I want to say about July or August. August, July, between July and September, I realized um, there's different things revealed that all of my connections were going to you know, be gone. There was going to be this final little healing push of um, things from my past. And I was going to lose. And oh my goodness. Unexpected loss is one thing. Well, knowing that you're going to lose ahead of time and that I tell people all the time, you think it's like people think it's cool, like if someone can know the future and have visions and all the cool stuff. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not because, you know, nine times out of ten, you know, the command is to not really do anything about it, right? You just got to let it be, you got to let it flow. Um, and I had to be like, oh God, I'm going to lose. I'm losing like all of this, but these are things I love. These are people I love. These are situations I love. You talking about I'm losing it all? And it's like, I had to come to some sort of preparation and man, listen. It was not easy because, you know, I had things I had to do, right, Um, to prepare, to initiate, to establish and set up and because that's all I could do. You know, that was the only thing, you know, for me to do. And I, however, is playing out, you know, it's the way it's supposed to play out. So there's, there's a piece, right? There's a piece. But then all this started coming back. Like, oh, gosh. So... I had to premeditative embrace the fact that I was going to lose. And wow, this time around, um, this grief cycle, because it wasn't a, it wasn't like a physical death of someone dying. It was a death of very, very strong connection, very, very strong connection um, that I knew was not like once it was done, it was never gonna continue again. Like it was gonna be done. And I just remember being like, well, I don't want that. I don't want that. And I tried very much, very much to, you know, be like, man, I want you to come with me. And I remember telling this person like, I want you to come with me. I want you to be there with me. But if all this doesn't, change it's going to be impossible um and it wasn't just that because there's anybody anybody in my circle I'm like oh no I can't have this in my life I can't have these certain things you know where I'm going this can't happen you know 
even with family members, like, oh, no, this can't happen. And even for my child, like, hey, child, my son, this is how mommy has been operating. Well, guess what? Mommy's going to be operating this way. And all this stuff, you know, we got to put it to bed. we got to cut it off. None of this can happen. And even as a spiritual person, I tell everybody I have yoke on myself every day. I had moments of depression. I had moment of bargaining. Um, the spiritual world and the spiritual aspect of the things that we do, you know, there is a, a semblance of being able to make a change, you know, being able to, in essence, control and ask the universe and know that it can't happen, right? Um, and then, of course, having to be willing for whatever consequences that may be. And I had to sit there and be like, okay, um, you know, I have some fear, I have some confusion, I have some avoidance, you know, let's clear up the confusion, you know, and working through that process of, you know, being like, okay, this is why it's going to happen and this is what's going to happen here. Um, foresight, you know, can be good, right? Dance through the anxiety of going through it, like because you're getting you're cranking up, cranking up the the roller coaster about to go down. And oh my gosh, I don't like roller coasters at all. Like I don't like them. I've never liked roller coasters, but I have always been one of those persons that whatever I'm scared of, that's what I'm gonna do. Because fear is my bitch, you know. So I was always the first one to be on the biggest roller coaster I was always the one the first one to hike up the highest mountain and you know and face my fear of heights I'm very afraid of heights um and yeah you know there is this whole thing of you know this anxiety and then struggling to find them that bargaining aspect struggling to find the you know of what was about to happen and and finding it you know ultimately I know I, I know what's gonna I know what's happening in my life. You know, I know where I'm going. Um, the, you know, doesn't mean that the hills aren't always, you know, fun. They're not. Um, or the dips and lows are always fun, even when you know that they're coming. I mean, when I know that roller coaster hill is coming, it still doesn't feel great going down it. You know, I'm still going to scream like I'm a little kid and I'm still going to raise up my hands and touch the sky. You know, I'm still going to embrace it, right? Because this is the journey of grief, right? Because I know at the end of the day, that acceptance, that new life that I asked for, right? This is things I asked for. This is the, the circle of life. You ask for abundance. You ask for things in your life. You cannot have certain things in your life without dying to oneself. You cannot have um, you cannot have fruit without the seed breaking apart. This is just right. This is just science. This is just nature. It's life, right? You cannot have spring without winter. You know you can't. And through every stage in that, as I'm accepting that you know, on my space, you know, and on my journey and, you know, 
like, oh God, I'm going to have to allow myself to grieve because at the end of the day, you know, a loss is still a loss. And even though I know that there's a win and oh gosh, all the exciting things coming, it's amazing. Okay, well, you're still sad. I'm still so sad. Oh my gosh. Not so much that anymore. I've been in the grief process all week. <laughs> like, like I said, I had a lot of work going on. And, but it was like, okay, you've had a lot going on. You have a lot of things that you are accomplishing. Stop. Sit your butt down and grieve. Right? Grieve that all these things that came to, that, you know, were told that you were going to come to pass. And the aspect of, oh, can I change any of this? But realizing if I changed any of it, then I was going to change the abundance coming. You got to let it flow. You got to let that journey happen. This is the journey of grief, is allowing the flow within your life, right? So sit my butt down. Okay, now let yourself cry. I'm like, are you serious? Serious? I hate, I hate crying. Like, I don't, I don't love to cry. Mainly because I have PCOS, so I get tired of crying. PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome, which is pretty much just a hormonal issue. And I don't like to get too much into. I don't like talking about PCOS so much anymore, just because my life is consumed by it. So you know, I don't like talking about it too much. Um, but I, I love to. I do say, you know, it's an attack on your, on your femininity. Um. I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was um, 21, but I didn't have any symptoms of it until I had my son. And then they all came. Oh my gosh. Tears was the first and, and, and crying. And I now call myself, you know, I'm a female, I'm a, a female weeping prophet, just like Jeremiah, the Bible. I'm going to cry at the drop of a dime. Um, I can cry it and I, you know, just because the sun is beautiful, it will bring tears to my eyes because, you know, I cry on happy times too. I cry at beauty, you know, I see a beautiful painting and it, you know, in, invokes an emotion and I'm going to want to cry. Um, I found the value in tears. I found that, you know, tears water, you know, tears are a release, you know, tears are they're the rain, you know, they're the rain on your soul, and once those tears come, you know, and I've had those tears, and I'm washing away, you know, there's a beauty in that, because I know, hey, these are, it's watering my sadness, there's a sacredness here, right, sacredness of nature, you know, nature shows itself in your Bible, um, not Bible, body, right? So these tears come and they are, you know, it's my heart, in, within that moment, my heart is speaking, you know, to myself, you know, and in those tears, well, you're releasing. And when I cry, I have these things where I, I talk to myself, you know, like, oh, what are we crying? What are in these tears? I truly believe. You know, you know, tears have emotions. They say tears have a fingerprint, you know. Um, and each tear has a different, you know, what, whatever you're crying about, um, there's a different pattern um, for, for tears. And I think about that. 
you know, of what I am coming out, you know, um, and the joys of that. So I have 46 people on here tonight on a Friday night before Thanksgiving. You know, that is before Thanksgiving. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I should be getting Thanksgiving before Valentine's Day. Now I'm t- giving a TED talk <laughs> on a Friday night before Valentine's Day. Now that is a journey of grief right there. Unless of course you do your research and realize that Valentine's Day is really not about male and female love. Do your research. But back to tears. So as I go through these tears and as I'm releasing them and as I'm watering, you know, my soul and my heart and releasing different things, whether it's anger or disappointment or just straight plain sadness. Um, you get to that part of gratitude. And this is something where I feel that this is missing in the journey of grief for a lot of people. Um, that is really not talked about so much as a great thing to implement um, while you're crying to be thankful, you know, and as I cry, I'm thankful for the experience, right? So I go through that moment and I get thanks, right? I get thanks for being able to experience what I experience, you know, that I grew you know, through different experiences, I'll be like, oh, I'm so glad that you took that, that journey. I'm so glad, you know, that you made that decision. Or do I apologize? There are some things I had to apologize to myself for the other day. And I'm going through it. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. You know, I put you through this a little bit longer than you did. Because I was resisting. Because I was resisting, you know, what needed to happen. I was I was holding out for certain things, and I was like, "Man, I really want them to see this. I don't, I don't want to leave them behind. No, I don't want to." It's like, "Yeah, you have to. You know, they are blocking your blessings. You know, you know more than blocking. You know, at some point, they were attacking it, and it's just like, man, right? Because as I said before." One thing that death has taught me is to really embrace people for who they are, you know, because at any moment, they could be gone tomorrow. And I love embracing the moment. I don't want those moments to last forever, which is okay, you know. Um, and that's something that I've learned to embrace about myself. And if anybody wants to come up and join me and give their view on your journey of grief or comment on anything that I've said, please jump on. Um, Usually I see people, you know, jump on very, very quickly. And I don't know if this means that you guys really love my voice or not. I don't know. (laughs) But if you'd like to come up and join me, please do, because I do love it. But, um, okay, so we get to that point where we have the gratitude and you know, then we have the acceptance, and then what? What can we do at that? We can implement the things that we've learned. Um, and one of the things that I have found is that when you get to that, and we had this guy Tristan come up a little bit earlier, and he did say, 
you did have a couple of very good points of the fact of please, you know, giving your truth, um, humbling you, but also giving you a reset. You know, once those tears come, it is a reset button. Um, you know, the sunshine after the storm. Oh my gosh, what a good feeling. And one of the things I like to tell people is when they're experiencing grief, I'm like, oh my God, the sun is coming. The sun is coming though, you know? And when you release, when you let go, when you accept what is, and you give, you give room for the sun, because ultimately you have control over your life. And what, are you gonna live in the rain every day, all day? Or you're going to go ahead and let it come, let it go, let it flow, and let it go. And then allow the sun to come in because it's waiting, right? Sunshine is always waiting, right? Just like the, the song says, it cannot always be night, right? It cannot always be rain. It cannot always be sorrow. You've got to learn how to let your sorrow go. I don't know what happened um, in that moment. I believe that there's a decision. There's a decision where all of a sudden, man, this sorrow feels comfortable. Right? And then, oh, oh the sorrow feels like a friend. Right? So now, all of a sudden, instead of letting it go, you just decided to make it your full-time buddy. You know? Man. That's sad in and of itself. That's like that's something to grieve right there. That's something to grieve right there. Is not being able to let your sorrow grow and making that your friend. Or sticking in the anger part of it. And Bitterness becomes your friend. Or sticking in the denial part, right? And then, well, you know, you have no true desire to ever face any realities. No desires to face any realities in this life. This is where self-love happens, right? This is where you need that self-love. The journey of grief always comes down to, do you love yourself? Do you love yourself not to stay where you are? So many times um, in our different journeys, you know, we get stuck, right? Because instead of letting it flow and letting it go, well, we feel a moment owes us something, or we feel a person owes us something, or we feel like life owes us something, or God owes us something. We feel entitled. Guess what, y'all? There is no compensation for emotional loss. I don't care how many times you go to court and do it or not. You can get a check for psychological damage. You know, it doesn't make the psychological damage go away now, does it, though? Right. 
emotional distress, you know, doesn't make that go away, you know, and nothing can cover that. Nothing can make that go except you, you know, but it's not anything you can go over, around, or across. There's no bridge over that troubled water. You got to go through that journey. You know, where do we feel that we are entitled to not be human? You know, I say all the time, you know, I'm, I'm very deeply spiritual. I, lo- I love spiritual stuff. I love mystic stuff. Like, I love it. I always, I always have, I love it. I love it so much, you know? I love the magic in it. I love the mystery in it. I love the discovery, you know? I love, oh, God, I love everything about it. I love all the different aspects um, of it because there's just so many. You know, and it's so interesting and it's so fun. You know, I love spiritual beings. I love all the deities. Oh my God, deities are so awesome. And they're so cool, you know, and they're funny. Oh my gosh, all deities are hilarious. Every deity that I have met is hilarious, you know, because, you know, they have, they have a quirky sense of humor because, you know, because of the stupid shit they see all the time. You got to. Like <laughs> ultimately you you got to. You gotta learn how to how to take things with a grain of salt, literally, because things are hilarious. You know, this is the dynamic of the universe, you know. Um, that's what makes it beautiful and awesome. You know? And so I love that. But at the end of the day, I am a woman, you know, with every woman problem. Oh, I have a guest waiting. Oh my gosh, it's creepy. Oh my gosh. I'm going to go ahead and like fan a girl real quick. Like if y'all ever see Creed anywhere, just pop in and listen. This man is like ridiculously awesome. He has such great insight. How are you tonight? Oh, how are you doing this evening? I am doing well. We're talking about the journey of grief tonight. I don't know how long you've been listening, but go ahead and give us your thoughts. I want to hear it. Oh, no, I had a question. That's all. I was yeah. really interested in. Um, how do you identify a deity and um, and their emotions and stuff like that? That was just like, it struck me. And then um, after that, could you kind of um, let me know a little bit about your plat- about your, your topic tonight, please? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're talking about the journey of grief um, and the different aspects of it. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the seven stages of grief and the roller coasters of it. I've given a lot of my personal experiences. Uh, my platform here on on the Wisdom app is pretty much just what my tagline is. You know, I, I am, you know, on the road of enlightenment, having fun along the way. And so this is me more coming outside of my spiritual advisor, life coach aspect of what I do, and more of a, you know, relatable. You know, uh, we're all in this in this journey together. So wow, it's beautiful. Beautiful. So, beautiful. Uh, yeah, I I am under the Hyoka experience. So that's what, um, you and know, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. What I've noticed about um, the people that um, this journey has been bringing, coming, I've been coming across is they seem like people are um, journaling their journey. 
Mm-hmm. It's like I'm getting yeah. that type of thing there. And I think it's beautiful. Um, it is. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I, and I think in doing so, in journaling it like this, I think um, the uh, the people who's doing it, they're just attracting other people to decide to do that. And what it is, is that's the only way we know that there is a, some true um, positive energy out there is to share our testimony. Oh, um, my God. I mean, it stops all the questions because we, I know for me, when I was first early in life, um, I had I was naive. Um, so I was basically, mm-hmm. to, you know how you talk to yourself before you can really no. put words together and stuff. So you were already fully developed in your in your in your spirit. So with with that being said, um, once we start, once I start paying attention, my senses start getting involved. My ear, eyes, nose, mm-hmm. mouth, and things start. And I start collecting things in my conscious, and it's set in my critical mind a long time like that, and went down to my primitive in my sub and became I became operating under that and then once I operated under that for a long time with that high anxiety I realized that um something wasn't right like uh, like I was I was on a, I was like in a wilderness to a point where I felt like I didn't realize the, the people I was around it was just, it was really weird I got scared and vulnerable feeling and um I started realizing I was the things the decisions that I made was wrong and the people right. that were and the people that were damaged by it, and then I realized that that's a, these are decisions that I know I would not have made if I was operating from somewhere else because something else was screaming not to do it while I was doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, <laughs> that still small voice that we don't know. So with that with. being said, I had to find out who that dude was. So right. I, so what I done was I pushed, the, I paused the rest of everything because I kept, I ran and ran for this person because I, un, I because everything that person ever said was was true, and but I just couldn't operate under that. But there was right. something down in there that I knew was from there, and I didn't know what it was. But then I found it, and it was hidden in a chamber called love. And then once mm-hmm. I found it, it was a treasure tre- a treasure chest. And it had other chambers that was unfolding with guess who was there? People like you and other people and, and, and mm-hmm. things. And, and it just became a, just a powerful feeling. So then when I come back out, I come by with a sense of humbleness. I come by with a sense of under, of, 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 um, of humility, um, cur- cur- so but, cur- but courage. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then so, and then, and but in the happiness, you know where the happiness comes from? It comes from the pain. Because if I wouldn't have been for the pain, it wouldn't be no right now, period. I had to be crucified. I had to crucify it. But I'm through. Let me me, me stop, though. Oh, no, you're good. Uh I I promise you, you really kind of went through everything that I've been talking about this whole time in this journey of grieving um, and certain different losses in your life. And I I love the fact, because like I said, this is where the transition that I was coming to and talking about just my own spiritual um, journey to, you know, just this different leg in my life, you mm-hmm. know, so I don't have like, um, we, we, we've gone over, you know, death, we've gone over, you know, romance losses, we've gone over money losses, mm-hmm. you know, all these different sort of losses that you have to grieve. But I was getting to that point. So it's perfect that you're out here during that time where there is, you know, there is this side of me, you know, right now I'm grieving the loss of an old, like there's this new me coming out and this old me. There's, you know, the different parameters of different things I can and cannot accept anymore. And I got to like, I got to grieve it. I got to grieve that loss and let it go because yeah, that there's this 
acceptance and there there's yeah, just courage yeah, and yeah. you know we talked about you know the roller coaster ride of you know going up and i'm definitely afraid of heights but i will always be the first one in line for anything for heights because and you know to add never do is be scared to, to add content to what you're saying um it, it when it gets to a point where um you it, you you switch you 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 switch suddenly you know what i'm saying like it's like when you switch mm-hmm. suddenly it's a whole different thing and the reason why is because um it's like um your energy energy don't take its time it don't run a slow grind you know what i'm saying currency energy stuff you flip the switch and it's going and that's how and it's in the when it's going powerfully so when you know that you have no choice like, like it came to a thing where I felt like I didn't have a choice and not because I was in any trouble or things were working bad. I mean, things was going operating in the same way, if not better. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Then in the, in, in that, in that version, but at the same time, um, I'm just bringing so much more input into the world and I, and I'm confident enough to say it because I know everything I'm doing is with, um, no, um, not expecting anything in return. And with that being said, um, I'm giving hundred percent, 365, you know, whatever, whatever you want, whatever you need. And, but already, I, and, and, and that opens the door for so many things from me, from other people, because they see a part of themselves in me and it makes them want to do more and help more and, and jump on this big old bus. We're doing to try to help everybody and love everybody yeah. and care for everybody and throw something at everybody. I'm trying to well, throw because something. At we're all we're all connected. At some point, you are another me. Yeah, you know? flat out. Um, you, you straight up, and um, there is that. I will tell you, and I will challenge you on this: is that the more that you do that, and the more that you let that energy flow. Mm-hmm. In that way, in that level of acceptance and embracing, well, then the more you will be able to see what's mm-hmm. coming ahead. The more you will be able to read energy in a deeper way. And honestly, the more you can, you know, tweak it if you want to. It's very, very, very possible. Not always oh, yeah. wise. Well, <laughs> well, the reason why, that's why I even, that's why I even, start, that's, the, that's the first how I used it. And I hate to admit to it. But I want to let. I just want to admit to it. At the very beginning, when at the very beginning when I was real young, yes, I mean I saw the spirit move and I saw things operate through it that I can I can explain. But it would just be it'd be like a phenomenal thing. Like you have have a cable channel for it. Then as I got older, around maybe sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and I started walking from the animalistic state, I started like um, manipulating and, and using things for um, just for for sport fishing and i was doing a lot of damage especially when it comes to when you're younger like women and stuff you start dealing from that aspect and you see the vulnerability in them and stuff and then instead of you you know just being honest with yourself and just i'm living from a loving spot but that's not what your outside surroundings is teaching you and myself i'm every culture has a subculture and in my subculture Mm -hmm. i came up it was all about um television and music and um, entertainment. So whatever you learned in the household with good parents and good upbringing, um, civilization snatched out, snatched it from you when you walked outside. They had to go to work. Right. They had to turn their right. back. And when they turned their back, who was watching you their back? 
Yeah, and then the age that it was, was it the age of um, were you receiving things? And that's those are the age that was building character, building integrity, morals and values and things like that. So and they knew that. So, you know, what I'm saying so the things that I was fed for, for monetary value for purposes and the weed out competition, you know, what I'm saying um, it worked. And with that being said, I don't even let me just shut up. Let me shut up. <laughs> we- <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go ahead and let this new guest come up. And I love it. We can go off subject all day long because there is a an absolutely journey of that grief of, of your character and who you, and who you go. Because, yeah, as you grow and as you move along. And if you want to come back up, Creed, please go ahead and come back up. But I wanted to go ahead and get Dr. Robert J. on the line. Hi, how are you tonight? Oh, good. Uh, I'm on. Uh... Thinking about the journey of, of grief, it, my father, well, my grandmother was, was, uh, had 11 kids, and uh, my father was the baby, and uh, my uncle Doc uh, was the oldest. And uh, I hung out with uh, my uncle a lot, and he would come over to the house and say, a penny for your thoughts. And he and I would tell him he would give me the penny, uh, encourage me, and then give me the penny, and then turn around and tell me, ask me to tell him what I what he said in my own words. And uh, and uh, I had to just like go like that journey of okay, he's gone, but the memories and the advice that he gave me along the way, you know, uh, it's going to last uh, forever. And he did that from, I was eight until 11. You know, and this man had five acres, a farm, you know, horse cows, you know, a barn, you know, but he always would encourage me to do better than him. Well, at the age of eight and nine years old, I couldn't think of nothing else to being a, oh. a farmer, you know. But so you, but you didn't become one. No. Uh, so at that point in time, uh, you had yeah, a loss the, of an identity that you thought that you were going to have. Uh, yes, uh, but the encouragement that that man gave me, uh, don't I can be a farmer. Because that's one of the things he said, you don't have to be a farmer like me. You can uh, be whatever you want to be. No. Uh, and uh, he would say, even though he had all this, he said, do better than I did. No. So it was just like really big encouragement. My mom and dad was the same way. My dad was the foreman of three farms. Uh, and uh, so it was like having a job wasn't no uh, worry. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it was just like uh, born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And uh, and hey, I was born in Arkansas down in Scots. You know, uh, and truthfully, 
I was born in the back of a 57 Cadillac that my uh, brother-in-law had just bought. And, uh, and, and it was 1957. And I was born in the backseat of that car in 1957. So, I mean, Do you I, ever feel like, do you ever think about what life would have been like if you had become a farmer? Um, I mean, it looked at fun. I mean, I, I was there 